Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with more fallout from the storms that have been pummeling the south coast and new warnings tonight about more winter weather on the way. In an example of the danger, a truck driver is lucky to be alive tonight after he was struck by a falling piece of ice. Our Aaron MacArthur is live near the Massey Tunnel tonight where this happened in air and the driver was seriously injured. Yeah, scary incident for sure, Chris. This happened about 1.30 this afternoon. A Canada Post truck was driving south through the Massey Tunnel when a huge ice chunk went through the windshield and into the steering wheel where the driver was sitting, obviously. Now, the question becomes, where did this ice chunk come from? It either fell from the entrance to the tunnel, there's some grating above all four entrances, or it came from a, another vehicle that was in the tunnel. The Ministry of Transportation has had a look at all four entrances to the tunnel and couldn't find any other ice debris hanging precariously. So one thought is that a semi-truck was in front of this Canada Post vehicle and a piece of ice flew off the back of that and then into the windshield. And considering the speeds involved here, that would certainly be enough velocity to cause the kind of damage that we're seeing. RCMP are investigating. They're asking for dash cam video around that time. But at this point, it's a head scratcher. The investigation is still uh, ongoing. We're trying to determine where the piece of ice came out of. This is a first. Uh, I've never seen an incident like this before. Uh, this is definitely a first in my six-year career. Now, we are starting to see some flakes fall here in South Richmond. Scattered flurries, to be sure, but the worst of that is, is snow is coming. Yvonne will have the details later. But crews are already prepping for another messy night and messy morning. Snow, freezing rain, rain possible. The good news in all of this is it is a Saturday. I think we're all a little tired of driving to work in the snow. Chris, Sophie? Yeah, we'll, we'll be thankful for an easier commute, no doubt. Thanks very much, uh, Aaron <laughs> MacArthur, live in Richmond for us tonight. So we'll bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell right now uh, for the details, Yvonne, when the worst of this is going to hit. Uh, it is going to pick up as early as this evening, just after 8 o'clock, and we could see the snow, heavy at times, even getting closer towards the midnight hour. So today was the calm before the storm. storm rather. Here's what we are looking at for this evening. Most areas, it'll start off as snow, and then overnight, we are seeing a transition. The concern will be the risk of freezing rain, and then many spots do warm up. We do have milder air that is going to move right across the south coast. We will see it change over to rain. We could see pooling on the roads as well as flooding, but the concern for eastern areas into the Fraser Valley, Abbotsford, Chilliwack, and towards Hope. Could see periods of freezing rain through the day for tomorrow before it changes over to rain. And then for tomorrow morning, the concern will be winds. Gusts anywhere between 16 up to 80 kilometers per hour. This evening, additional snow amounts for most areas across Metro Vancouver, ranging between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Chris? All right, Yvonne, thanks, and we'll check in a little later. 
And it's been a trying week for SkyTrain passengers, the weather causing some major delays. The Expo line experiencing the majority of the problems this week. Track issues through last night's and this morning's rush hour into chaos. Nadia Stewart is live at Stadium Station now with more on the role the weather is playing. Nadia? Yeah, Sophie, trains are running fine this evening, but as you mentioned, that was not the case this morning when those track problems forced people off of the trains and onto buses, and that definitely was not the first time that happened this week. For Metro Vancouver commuters, it was another rough morning. One of the worst transit trips I've probably taken in the last almost three years I've been working. Snow and ice built up on the tracks caused short-circuiting on the system at the height of rush hour. Yeah, waterfront, Broward and Stadium Station. Forcing hundreds of passengers onto buses as they dealt with the latest transit delays in what TransLink is calling a difficult week. No train going to waterfront, so today we have to find a bus here. I'm surprised that after this long, TransLink and Vancouver and Burnaby and New West, like all the cities haven't still figured out that we do get snow here. Broadway eastbound platforms are closed at this time. Identifying the problem is the first step. When the trains come in, they bring in ice and snow with them. And what we saw were in certain spots, which seemed to be, it appears, more susceptible, an ice buildup on the power rail, and that caused electrical issues uh, for several hours. But solving it is another. TransLink says crews have been working to solve all of the problems we've seen this week, from frosty doors to snow and ice cover tracks. De-icer trains are used overnight to help mitigate problems like what we saw this morning. Obviously we don't want this to be a recurring issue for several days, so our priority right now is to figure out how we can remove that ice uh, and try and stop that problem from happening over and over because it is really frustrating for people who are caught up. TransLink is apologising for the delays, saying passengers expect better. But it seems they're also used to the hiccups trying not to let them derail their day. Yeah, everyone's got to take the shuttle, but I actually decided to take a positive out of this, and I'm actually running to work now. So, you know, shed some calories. <laughs> Well, that's a positive way of looking at it. Uh, three times this week, Nadia, there's frustration around the frequency we seem to see these weather-related problems. Can they do anything about this? Yeah, there are a couple of solutions that they're looking at. It's still too early to say whether or not a track replacement is in order here, but that is something that they are examining as they look at fixing this problem once and for all. Something to keep in mind, though, when you consider other major cities like Toronto with the TTC, that system over there is, for the most part, underground, where over here our system is, for the most part, above ground. So definitely something to keep in mind as we brace for some more delays over the next 24 hours. Back to you. All right, thanks for that, Nadia Stewart at Stadium Station for us. There's growing evidence tonight the Park Board is no longer in charge of Oppenheimer Park. The city and Park Board have spent months arguing over what to do about a growing homeless encampment there. And as health and safety concerns continue to spiral out of control, our Jordan Armstrong tried to get a direct answer today about when the Park Board will resolve this crisis. Technically, it's a Vancouver Park Board park, but like the logo on the sign, the civic government's authority here has faded. So who's really in charge at Oppenheimer, the board or the activists? We asked both. 
really does have its own way of running itself with or without the government. Later, we caught up with the chair of the park board at a groundbreaking for a new downtown park to see if he agrees. Who's in charge there? The park board or the activists right now? Um, well, interesting question. I mean, the, the park itself is kind of a uh, space where there are many jurisdictions that have influence and importance. Citing fire hazards, the fire department has refused campers' demands for a warming tent. But on Wednesday, activists set one up anyway, using two donated propane heaters. An indoor warming center exists across the street from Oppenheimer, but Chrissy Brett says it's not adequate. People that have PTSD that don't feel as though they're emotionally safe in these places aren't able to go. I don't want to see anybody in the park. John Cooper is one of two park board commissioners who have fought to close down the camp and move residents to housing, whether they want it or not. The fact is we did have a plan in place in July. Uh, we offered housing for everybody. But that was vetoed by the park board majority, who oppose an immediate closure and want a solution based on First Nations reconciliation. But when? Yeah, no thanks. Green Party Commissioner Stuart McKinnon wasn't eager to answer questions. Get out of my face. Oppenheimer Park, you please. You're an elected commissioner, Mr. McKinnon. Why don't you want to talk about Oppenheimer Park? We passed a motion that we would work to, with a third party to come and help with the people to find them housing and to make the park as safe as possible for everyone. Is that just a stall tactic? Oh, that's your opinion. I'm asking you, is, is that a stall tactic? No, because it's been months and it's been the same situation. We've seen no change there. Thank you very much. Dueling agendas, elected officials on one side, activists on the other. Caught in the middle are people in crisis. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Premier John Horgan is in Kitimat today, touring an export terminal for LNG Canada. The site is part of the Coastal GasLink Pipeline Project, that's causing quite a bit of controversy in the region. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria right now. And Keith, let's start with the purpose of the Premier's tour there today. Basically to showcase the biggest uh, private investment in B.C. history, Chris, $40 billion, creation of thousands of jobs. The LNG Canada project is at the centerpiece of the NDP government's economic strategy. So the Premier today touring the facility with First Nations leaders. That's a key uh, aspect of this because it has widespread First Nations support with the exception of a minority. Those five hereditary chiefs in the Wet'suwet'en uh, First Nations are threatening to blockade it. That could threaten the actual uh, project going ahead. The Premier today taking pains to point out he's not in charge of the police up there. There is an injunction in place. He says it has to be enforced, but it's not up to him regarding the timing of when the police move in. Here's the Premier on that point. I don't direct the police, uh, nor do I direct the courts. So I think that it's important that the public understand that, uh, that I am a participant in this process, not a director. Uh, the courts make their decisions, and then law enforcement uh, lives up to those uh, rulings. Premier acknowledges he's been drawing some heat on social media for insisting that the rule of law must be obeyed up there. This thing's going to get ugly, Chris. I think it's going to be delayed for some time, and it's certainly not over yet in terms of what happens next. Uh, it's been dragging on for five years now with that protest, and it shows no signs of ending. All right. Keith Baldry and Victoria. Thanks, Keith. 
Well, during this visit, the premier has chosen not to meet with Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs fighting that pipeline to discuss their concerns. As you just heard, the company has been cleared to continue its work in the area and Horkin has stated the project will be proceeding. Despite that, as Sarah McDonald reports, both the protest camp and an RCMP checkpoint remain dug in. One week since a court-ordered deadline driving fierce debate passed, putting anyone blocking the construction of a hotly contested natural gas pipeline in defiance of Canadian law. The standoff between the energy giant behind a multi-billion dollar project and indigenous leaders continues. It's kind of fluid for us. An RCMP checkpoint monitoring anyone coming and going on this unceded territory, including those who call it home, still in place. This is my first time getting through the checkpoint. Being denied um, entry to your own home is, it's an overwhelming experience. Molly Wickham was among the 14 people arrested one year ago when that now extended injunction clearing the way for construction was enforced. Something looking increasingly likely to happen again. My feelings are almost exactly what I felt last year at this time, is that we're backed into a corner. The hereditary chiefs opposed to the $6.6 billion pipeline, at odds with the elected leaders of all 20 First Nations it runs through province-wide, still refusing dialogue with anyone other than government officials. And that includes the company itself. Coastal GasLink putting forward promotional footage like this. I think it's really, really important to, to have a good relationship with community members out here in the workforce. And strongly worded letters. But along with the RCMP, nobody to speak on camera in more than a week. We're in a tricky situation because of the legacy of colonialism and actually, in fact, the ongoing presence of colonialism in our treatment of Indigenous people in this province. The courts have spoken, and clearly, siding with the nation's elected leaders, recognized by the provincial and federal governments, paving the way once again for work to resume. Our ancestors didn't fight hard just so that we would give up our entire future and our territory. With all eyes remaining fixated on this sprawling swath of land, along the focus of debate, and now the nation. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Right now, though, Canada's first opioid vending machine is up and running on Vancouver's downtown east side. The goal of the project is to prevent overdoses from fentanyl-laced street drugs. But it doesn't work like a regular vending machine, and it's not for everyone. Jill Bennett has more on how it works. Using biometrics, reading a handprint, the machine dispenses hydromorphone pills to the five people currently signed up as part of the pilot project. It's my choice if I want to um, take this next door to a safe consumption site and inject it, or if I just want to swallow it. For Derek, that means getting a safe supply of opioids and not having to take a chance on street drugs laced with fentanyl, something he's done many times in the past. It just replaces what I've been using and gives my body, the, it quenches the thirst per se. So I can still function. The MySafe project is the work of Dr. Mark Tyndall, an advocate for safe drug supplies. If somebody told me like 10 years ago, actually we should be giving people these drugs, I may have had some reservations, but uh, with the catastrophe that we faced over the last four years, I see no alternative. Since 2016, at least 5,000 people in B.C. have died of drug overdoses. This machine times how often someone can access the drugs. If they try to access another dose too soon, it will deny the request and tell them when they can come back. Well, the two biggest things, one is we're uh, reducing by a large scale the chance of you overdosing, and two, we're uh, 
trying to stabilize people and trying to break this relentless cycle of uh, searching for drugs and living in poverty. Another member of the project, Kevin, who asked that we not show his face, says in the past year he overdosed and was brought back with naloxone four times. I haven't picked up any um, illicit you know, fentanyl on the street in the last two and a half weeks. So in my mind, I've kind of broken the cycle. The goal is to have a network of machines dispensing opioids to people most at risk. The program already has the support of the Vancouver Police Department. Jill Bennett, Global News. Growing concerns tonight about the spread of a new virus has prompted the U.S. and a number of Asian countries to begin screening airline passengers from central China. The virus is from the same group that caused an international outbreak of SARS. The B.C. Centre for Disease Control says it is watching closely, but as Catherine Urquhart reports, passengers aren't being screened here yet. A seafood market in Wuhan, China, is believed to be ground zero for a deadly new coronavirus, one that may have come from bats. It has killed at least two people and sick in dozens. BC's Centre for Disease Control now issuing alerts. We've put out now six bulletins to our frontline practitioners uh, with fan out, uh, emergency room doctors, infection control practitioners in all of the hospitals, medical microbiologists, the airport authorities. In the U.S., Three key airports, Los Angeles, San Francisco and JFK, have started screening those traveling from Wuhan looking for symptoms. It's the first such screening in the U.S. since the Ebola outbreak six years ago. This is a virus that affects the lungs, so it sounds a little bit like influenza. Fever, chills, aches, difficulty breathing, (coughs) and a cough. There are no direct flights from Wuhan to British Columbia. Right now, I think the risk to Canadians is uh, very low. I don't see this as being a major community-level threat. BC's Centre for Disease Control says it will continue to closely monitor spread of the coronavirus. So far, no cases have been reported here. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, you don't see a lot of them on the streets right now, but new transportation like e-scooters and electric skateboards are becoming more popular all the time. They're not street legal yet, but the provincial government is open to changing that. And as Brad McLeod reports, it's looking for communities to be part of a pilot project. It might seem like everyone else is e-scooting, while British Columbians have been left with pedal power. But a new pilot is about to change all that. We're so excited. We've been lobbying the province, working with the province. Cities can apply to the Ministry of Transportation to allow things like e-scooters and e-skateboards on their roadways and sidewalks. Right now, only electric bicycles and some sit-scooters are allowed. Yes, you've probably seen the devices being used in your city, but that's illegal. Right now, they're only allowed on private property. I see them. I see some of them out there. Uh, yeah, the answer has been, well, I don't know, no, but... Get caught and you'll be slapped with a $600 ticket. Last fall, the government uh, made changes to the Motor Vehicle Act to allow for pilot projects uh, for personal transportation devices. Kelowna's mayor lobbied for an exemption from the scooter restrictions. The city does allow scooters on their property, but it's been a dodgy problem for people out for a stroll. 
When we expand the areas where e-scooters are able to travel, this will relieve some of that congestion in some of our more popular and tourist destinations. It's a win-win for everybody. Kelly Goldbeck runs KG Cycle in Victoria. He now steers clear of most e-scooters and other gadgets, but the entrepreneur is excited to stock up if they become legal. It was tough at the beginning because I did have some customers that got ticketed, especially on the, the scooters. Though there's the chance it could become a blight, like the cities who've adopted scooter shares before. Uh, making sure that they don't become clutter in public space. Uh, thankfully, we're not the first city in the world to be doing this. Uh, we can look to other cities that have successfully implemented these kinds of mobility choices. The mayors of Kelowna and Victoria agree to uh, allow them in bike lanes for now, and perhaps we'll see where it goes from there. The province says we could see scooters, skateboards, and similar by summer. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. So this kind of puts Metro Vancouver's snowmageddon in perspective. Newfoundland pounded today by a blizzard so brutal the government declared a state of emergency. Homes in one St. John's neighborhood were evacuated after an avalanche hit one house. No one, thankfully, was hurt. Well, there are snowdrifts several meters deep in some places, driven by winds as high as 120 kilometers an hour. Many cities ordering their businesses to close and their residents to stay inside. With up to 75 centimeters of snow in the forecast, coupled with vicious winds gusting up to 150 kilometers an hour, the city of St. John's has declared a state of emergency. You got a complete whiteout here, uh, you know, very low visibility, if any, and, uh, you know, certainly not a safe, uh, you know, excursion outside of your home right now. Most people have stayed inside voluntarily. Some are getting a jump on shoveling to make less work when it's all over. Those who did venture out were stunned by the combination of heavy snow and winds that are already gusting more than 100 kilometers an hour. At one point, I didn't think I could make it home, and I, I headed for home. I, it, was, it was so white around the outside of my vehicle, I couldn't see in front of me, behind me. Even before this storm, St. John's had been hit with 170 centimeters of snow in the past month, more than half its average winter total. Police say they have officers available for emergencies and with wind gusts forecast to be at their highest this evening, the impact from this blizzard is a long way from over. Ross Lord, Global News, Halifax. That is just unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Well, the federal government has announced funding for the families of Canadian victims of Flight 752. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says $25,000 will be given to the families of the 57 Canadian citizens and 29 permanent residents who died when Iran, when Iran shot down the Ukrainian jet last week. Trudeau says the money will cover the cost of funeral arrangements and travel. He also made it clear that Canada expects Iran to compensate the victims. This is a unique and unprecedented situation because of the international sanctions placed on Iran and the difficulties that that imposes on these families. I want to be clear. We expect Iran to compensate these families. But I have met them. They can't wait weeks. They need support now. 
Well, the Prime Minister says 20 families have asked to have the remains of their loved ones brought back to Canada, with the first to be repatriated in the coming days. In Iran, remains of some of the victims from other countries were returned today, just as the country's supreme leader made a rare appearance and blasted the West for its reaction to the tragedy. At a border crossing between Iran and Afghanistan, the first repatriation ceremony for one of the Afghan victims of Flight 752. Ukraine expects all of its 11 citizens to be repatriated on Sunday, nine of whom were crew members. Global News understands a ceremony will be held in their honour in the capital, Kyiv. Ukraine's Foreign Minister Vadim Pristaiko said Iran is now ready to hand over the black boxes for analysis and demanded that happen immediately. Pristaiko was among the team of five foreign ministers who agreed on a framework of action during meetings at the Canadian High Commission in London on Thursday. He said it won't be enough if Iran only prosecutes the soldier who pressed the button. Everyone involved, he said, must be held to account. And it may be in this man's power to facilitate that. Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei spoke at Tehran's Masala Mosque for Friday prayers for the first time in eight years. These American clowns, he said, who with lies and utter evil say they stand by the Iranian people, they should see who the Iranian people are. Khamenei referring to US President Donald Trump's recent tweet in Farsi, supporting Iran's anti-government protests. On the downing of Flight 752, Khamenei said the West was delighted the tragedy diverted attention away from the US killing of Iranian commander Qasem Soleimani. He also said Britain, France and Germany are just lackeys of the US in their dealings with Iran and the anti-nuclear proliferation deal. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. In health matters tonight, Canada's public health agency is warning about an early spike in flu cases. 162 influenza outbreaks have been reported across Canada over a three-week period. Strains of both influenza A and B have been circulating, and that's resulted in several deaths. Health officials say the best defense is getting the flu shot, but only about 43% of Canadians rolled up their sleeves last year. Well, they are some of the most fascinating birds in B.C., always fun to watch. But when the weather turns cold, they are also the most at risk. For hummingbirds, plummeting temperatures can be a matter of life and death. Linda Aylesworth visited the people who care for them and has some advice on how we all can help. Most native birds can handle B.C. winters just fine, although a helping hand is appreciated in all this snow. But hummingbirds are different. Most couldn't make it through the winter without us. He's just not drinking as well as the others, so um, we have to encourage them by just getting a tiny drop down there. Wildlife Rescue in Burnaby is currently caring for 10 hummingbirds. It's definitely a peak year. Last year with the snow we saw an influx of hummingbirds, but it's definitely more this year. In the summer, they have lots of insects to eat and flowers to sip nectar from. But when there's snow, um, that sort of eliminates all the other food and uh, they really depend on the hummingbird feeders. Which means they rely on us to clean their feeders with a 10% bleach solution every week to prevent mold, deadly to hummingbirds, from growing and to keep the nectar from freezing. A lot of them have come in because the feeders froze that they were relying on and then they didn't have any food and they got um, hypoglycemic. Some people keep two feeders so they can switch whenever the nectar starts to solidify. 
Then there are the year-round problems that affect all bird species, like attacks by domestic cats that are allowed to roam at large, and window strikes, which cause this great blue heron to suffer head injuries and broken bones. His care is costing the Wildlife Rescue Association $300 a day. They eat a lot of specific food, um, and there's a lot of uh, time for the staff to, to care for all these animals. Most will recover. Remember that little guy who wouldn't eat? He's doing better. He doesn't need to be here, is what that means. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. They're quick with that net. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not huskies, but they get full marks for effort. After the forecast, we'll tell you why these corgis deserve big props for pulling. <laughs> well, team of huskies is pretty much what you needed out in the valley and in some other places uh, in the middle of our blizzard out here. Not nearly as bad as we've seen in Newfoundland, but... Well, it's pretty with the ice flowing down the river, isn't it? Yeah, this is between Langley uh, today. Uh, We did see a nice break, a reprieve. It was much needed, but we've got lots of active weather that is going to push in this evening, especially leading in towards your Saturday morning if you're up early and you're planning on doing some commuting. So let's take a look at some of the temperatures that will be close to or hovering the freezing mark. We've already got a few flurries that are pushing its way in right across the south coast, and we will be temperature dependent. Most areas that are closer to the water likely be falling as rain or wet snow, but it really does start to pick up, especially this evening. Approaching midnight is when we'll see the snowfall right across the south coast, and then after midnight with most areas changing over to rain, but with that transition, warm air that is moving in, we are looking at the potential and the risk of freezing rain. Southeastern areas for Metro Vancouver, Langley and Surrey, that's where we can see higher amounts, 5 and up to 10 centimeters. Most areas, zero potentially and up to 8 centimeters. The island, inland, a significant amount of snow, especially for heading towards Whistler and areas near Howe Sound. We are looking at that warm air moving in with the cold air on the surface. That's where we're looking at the risk of freezing rain. Wind will pick up overnight and for the early morning hours. We've got wind warnings for the southern tip of Vancouver Island up to 80 in the northern half, up to 110 kilometers per hour. So we'll be keeping a close eye. If you're traveling for the ferry for the morning hours, do check in with BC Ferries. Snowing, blowing snow and blizzard conditions, especially for the north coast inland, five and up to 10 centimeters. It's widespread snow snow, the potential to see freezing rain from many areas if you're traveling along the mountain passes with that transition and then across the south coast will start off as snow, freezing rain and then very windy conditions. It's going to get mild. We're looking at the potential for some flooding, pooling on the roadways. It's going to be very active as we get in towards our Saturday morning and rainy and mild for our Sunday. Guys, all right. Clear those catch basins. For sure, if you got one on your street. Thanks, Yvonne. It's not exactly a sleigh ride fit for a queen, but it does involve Her Majesty's favorite breed of dog. Corgis aren't usually considered sled dogs, but someone forgot to tell these three. This video is shot on a snowed-in baseball diamond in Regina. Even more impressive, temperatures there felt like minus 50 with the wind chill. And take a look at this. 20 panda cubs made their debut in China today. They're part of a breeding program at the China Conservation and Research Center for Giant Pandas. A total of 32 pandas were born there last year, 17 males and 15 females. There are 10 twins among the 32 cubs. Oh, my favorite. Free, it warms right up my heart. Everybody, I mean, everybody loves a panda. How can you tell the pandas are twins? Because um, they all kind of look the same. They have That's to have true. little markers Good for tattoos. And the other thing I was going to say, those corgis, I felt bad for those guys. Because in that snow and cold, the undercarriage doesn't have a lot of 
<laughs> distance, you know, well, between they got they're laid close to the ground. Yes, exactly. That's what I meant. There's, There's no such thing, thing as a jinx. jinx. Okay. Which is why we are open to discuss the possibility. That we the, haven't been able to discuss well, in a while. Well, the Canucks could make the playoffs. Yes, I mean, there's 34 games to go. There's a long way to go. But stay healthy. That's the big thing. And good goaltending. And Jacob you Marstrom has provided that. What's that? <laughs> just knocked on wood. Okay, I don't believe in jinxes, but I really like knocking on wood. Uh, that was a big win by the Canucks over Arizona last night for a number of reasons. Not the least of which is the Canucks are now one point out of first in the Pacific Division with games in hand on both Calgary and the Coyotes. There are only two points separating the top five teams in the Pacific Division. That game last night was like a playoff game. Tight checking, requiring discipline, and the Canucks' young players did not break under the pressure. The winning goal was by Jake Vertanen, who yesterday was the most hated man in Winnipeg for his elbow on Matthew Perot earlier in the week. Perot thought that Jake Vertanen should have been suspended. Jake had this to say about what happened. You know, I, he's a good player, and um, I have nothing bad to say about him. Like, I wasn't, wasn't trying to just go out and murder a guy, and, you know, I could have, could have been a lot worse if I really hit him. And, um, you know, he's a good player, and I, I honestly didn't even mean to do that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just a, it's hockey, you know. Stuff's going to happen, and, you know, it's not going to be flowers and roses all the time where, you know, everything is clean. Yeah, it's hockey and it, things move fast out there and sometimes it's, you know, whatever. And, you know, I didn't even mean to do it. So it's, it is what it is. It always is what it is. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Todd Bertuzzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, this sounds like a religious story, but the Vancouver Whitecaps did sign two Christians this week. <laughs> Left back Christian Gutierrez and today winger Christian Dahomey, who is uh, from Colombia, played in South America before joining the Whitecaps. Uh, the Whitecaps believe he will be able to play alongside Lucas Cavallini on a regular basis, and they also feel that Dahomey's has the ability to make the transition to Major League Soccer. Character-wise, for sure, he is, he is a player who played, uh, in average, I think, 36 games each season in the last six seasons, if you make an average out of that. Uh, he, he competed for, for championships, uh, so he is used to, to play every week. He is used to be stressed every week. He is an experienced player, but still young enough, so not at the end of his career. Tomorrow night, Connor McDavid. Connor McGregor gets back in the octagon for a fight with Cowboy Cerrone at UFC 246. McGregor hasn't fought since 2018. Cerrone is someone who fights a lot, but this will be his biggest fight ever just because of the guy he's fighting. And it's cool to finally uh, get what I deserve, man. It's cool. So uh, thank you, Connor. And you're right. You do bring the biggest paydays. You do bring the biggest eyes. Cowboy Welcome, Donald. You. Welcome. You've earned it. You've earned that multi-million dollar payday, and I'm delighted for you, bro. Yeah, seriously, truly. Obviously, you've seen him compete so much, so many times. It's hard not to respect Donald right now at this stage, and he has my respect. And, and although there will be blood spilled on January 18th, it will not be bad blood. And for the Mystic Mac prediction, it will be a KO. <laughs> he didn't say for who, though. Uh, Wizards and Raptors tonight. They used to say nobody beats the Wiz, but the Raptors did. Uh, Lowry, Kyle Lowry with the crazy three-pointer. Trying to draw the foul. That was remarkable. And then uh, Pascal Siak and the OG Ananobi for the jam. Toronto is having fun. 141-11 over Washington. 
Langley hosts the Canadian Junior Men's and Women's Curling Championships starting tomorrow. BC has won the last three men's titles, all by Cloverdale's Tyler Tardy. He was eligible to come back to try and win a fourth straight, but opted to move up to the seniors, opening the door for another BC team from the Lower Mainland. Coquitlam's Hayato Sato was ready this year to take down one of the greatest junior curlers in Canadian history. But as it turns out, he didn't have to worry about it. Three-time Canadian and two-time world junior champ Tyler Tardy decided to forego his last year of junior, despite the fact the Nationals are being held this week at his home club in Langley. Sato, meanwhile, formed a super team this year with guys he's played with and against in the past, and it paid off, winning the provincial title. Our biggest competition was definitely Tyler Tardy, and uh, he, fortunately for us, decided to take a break this year, so... We thought, yeah, maybe this was our big chance to, you know, get on the uh, big stage for juniors. I'm kind of the more crazy, extroverted person on the team, and the rest of them are all really introverted. So the kind of way that we kind of run the on and off the ice is pretty straightforward. I'm the one that's kind of really verbal and all over the place, and the rest of them are kind of quiet and they do their own thing. In curling, team chemistry is a huge factor. This group seems to have the formula. They're also fortunate to have two coaches who have won at the highest level. Brian Mickey and Brent Pierce were part of Greg McCauley's Briar and World Gold Medal winning teams back in 2000. Mickey's son Josh plays second on this team. He wasn't even born when his dad won, but apparently curling wisdom has some staying power. They've been able to guide us in, in, and try to, you know, condense 30 years of curling into our minds, so they've definitely been a huge help to our team. It uh, gives you goosebumps sitting out there watching and uh, yeah, you, you kind of live through their eyes and uh, you, you're on edge sitting back there, I won't lie, and you're sitting there and that's exactly what you're doing and all you can do is twiddle your thumbs and hope that they're going to pull the shots through. The Canadian Junior Men's and Women's Curling Championships run January 18th to 26th at George Preston Recreation Centre in Langley. Barry DeLay, Global Sports. Here's a look at your snow report for tonight. Whistler Blackcomb with one new centimeter. Similar for Grouse, Cypress with three, and Sasquatch, five. Manning Park, 11 new centimeters. Two for Revelstoke, 33 new centimeters for Fernie, and 10 for Kicking Horse. One new centimeter for Big White. Silver Star with a base of 223. Sun Peaks, 256. And four new centimeters for Apex. Eight new centimeters for Mount Washington. 26 for Whitewater. Eight for Red Mountain. And Powder King with a base of 250. All right, it's Friday. Let's do it. Okay, so uh, PGA is down in Palm Springs this week, mm -hmm. and there's a Canadian there by the name of Laurent Hurtupis. I hope I spelled, or at least I said his name correctly, out of Quebec. He got a hole-in-one in the Pro-Am event. Quite remarkable. I'll show you why it's quite remarkable. Because Laurent was born with one arm. Took up golf at the age of 11. And this is not trick photography. This is going right in the jar. Mm. That's an ace. <laughs> Did he win a car? Did he get any good prizes? <laughs> he should get something. Darn. He gets on satellite debris. And that is very impressive. Okay, so um, this is from England, this supermarket. But uh, Money Supermarket, they always do fun commercials. This one, they brought Snoop Dogg in to help them out. Here we go. 
cracking the pit. Bam, bam, uh -huh. bam. Well, that's exactly why I always keep. This is Phil. Phil saved money on his car insurance at Money Supermarket. And now he feels epic. Save money and feel like fear. You're so money supermarket. You're so money. All right, so the, uh, the next two we have, the first one is not funny, but it's brilliant photography, and if you like horses, you'll love it. And the one that follows that has houses singing an old Tom Jones song, I believe. Mm -hmm. There we go. Outlets burp. Oh, okay. <laughs> a little bit of sparks come out and things like that. It's excused itself. Well. All right, last word on weather before we go. Uh, freezing rain in the forecast in the valley, maybe? Yes, and snowfall. It's not over just yet. It pushes in. It'll change over to rain overnight for most areas and very windy for the morning hours. So a heads up and then a nice break on the way for the latter half of the weekend. Thanks. Good luck out there. It's about time. <laughs> All right, got the shovel and salt on standby. Have a good weekend, everyone. <laughs>